The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. This, this month, we know that I was, I was sharing with one of our guests before we started, um, before, during the hospitality time, that our church has this crazy rhythm. Um, and, the, and I use the word crazy because I don't want to use any other negative term because for me, I haven't quite adopted my normal flow of life to it yet. But annually, we lose about 40% of our congregation during the summer. And so we will... You'll, again, in the next couple of weeks, start to see our chairs fill up and people are going to be new. And, but many of you, you're already nodding at me because there's people that were worshiping with us just a month or two ago that are no longer here. They live in a, on the West Coast. They've moved to another country or their program or the thing that brought them to Baltimore is no longer here. And so it's, it's painful because it almost feels like, like every 18 months, it's like somebody rips duct tape off our arm. You know, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Others, you're like, oh, Ellis, that's so negative. That's so painful. But when you're trying to grow a church and, and start a movement in Baltimore, constantly changing over leaders and things like that can be difficult. And so this month, we're taking time before each teaching and before the scripture reading to talk about why we do certain things in our worship service the way that we do. And so last week, I shared briefly um, with you guys why we actually do a public reading of the scripture. And today I'm going to talk to you about why do we actually take time and with the phrase practice hospitality. Because most of you in here think that you're the only new person. Just with a quick show of hands, how many of you have been to the gallery church less than six times? Would you just raise your hand up high so everybody can see it? You've been to gallery church less than six times. So you can see there's a lot of people here that have not been here many times. And I would say, how many of you have been attending our church for less than a year? Would you raise your hand? Less than a year. All right, you guys even see? So there's, there's a lot of folks in here that are assuming that the person sitting next to them should be the one to reach out to them because I'm the new person. And then the person sitting next to them is saying, I think the person should reach out to me because I'm the new person. So we practice hospitality, not because churches say, hey, turn and greet the person next to you. Like, say hello. We don't want it to be just hello. We don't want it to be a fake, um, glad you're here, but I'm really not, um, kind of a moment. We want to we give five minutes or so so you can actually have a conversation because if we don't take time to practice hospitality, we are not going to speed up the process of getting to know one another. We have got to in some way um, say, I know I'm only going to be in Baltimore for a short period of time and I have got to do everything that I possibly can to engage with the church as fast as I can so that I can start to feel comfortable because my spiritual needs are private and personal, but yet they're also public and corporate. And I've got to figure out a way of finding a place to where I can feel welcomed. And so if we don't take time in our gatherings to practice hospitality, we are slowing down our maturity process. And some of us, we hide behind our introvertness. We hide behind our newness. And I just want to say that if we were to just start reading in Matthew chapter 1 and go all the way through Revelations... There's no place in the church where an introvert gets a pass on being friendly, okay? And there's nowhere where an extrovert gets a pass on being a jerk, 
Okay, I just want you guys to know that. So there's the, the, the overbearing personalities or the let me hide behind my personality at times. It's, we have got to get to the place where we show hospitality out of the overflow of our heart because we realize that we're the church. We're the body of Christ. We are the people that Jesus died to set free. And so we should be able to greet each other as brothers and sisters. So we take time each week to practice hospitality because we need a place to actually practice hospitality. I'm going to pull something out of Albert's playbook. I'm going to define something by saying the same thing over. Is that right? So we're going to learn to make sure that we practice hospitality. And with that, I'm going to invite our scripture reader up. It's Andrew. Would you guys just welcome Andrew? He gets the chance to read publicly the scriptures for us today, which is an honor. So there you go. Actually, you got a little holler there, Andrew. It feels good. Morning, guys. This morning, we're going to be reading from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Starting in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Today, oh, yeah, is this kind of blocking some people's view? All right. Thank you. Um, Today, I've entitled this particular teaching, John and the Lamb. And I'm not talking about John, the author of the book. I'm talking about John, who actually find in this chapter that we've now known as John the Baptist. But before we get into that, I want us to get centered on the purpose of the book. And so we've been sharing a verse the last couple of weeks and leading up to this series, but yet now I want to drive it home almost like a memory verse. We'll find it on the screen. It's John chapter 20, starting in verse 30 through verse 31. I want you to read this out loud with me if you can, all right? On the count of three, we'll get started. One, two, three. Now Jesus, other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, so John actually takes time in his own letter to tell us exactly why he wrote this out. 
And I think it's really important for you and I to understand this. This is not him just saying, let me just write down randomly all of my interactions with Jesus. That is a very shallow way of us approaching this book. But like I said last week, this letter is written in such a way that a child can feel comfortable in it. But yet also the most intellectual of adults in this room can also feel very much in it and stimulated by it. So if it's a a pool safe enough for a child to swim, it's also a a pool deep enough that an elephant can swim in it, right? That's the capacity of this letter. The other other analogy that I came across in this was... I'm not as musically inclined as some of you are like, oh, shocking, right? Some of you that know me are like, you stood next to me in church, and you're like, yes, I'm glad Ellis isn't on the worship team. But the, one of the things I am learning through my family and through our worship and through just the appreciation of music is that music is many parts. There are so many parts in music sometimes that you can actually go and you can see a production like on Broadway and underneath the stage is... God knows how many instruments buried in the orchestra pit, playing parts. Now, it's crazy to me that they're not all playing the same thing at the same time, although it's still interconnected. It's amazing the sound that comes out, the different styles of drums that are played, the different types of stringed instruments and wind instruments, and I'm going to stop listing them there because it's about as far as my knowledge of music goes. But John, this gospel is an orchestra And if you and I can understand that John in one sentence is talking about this part and another sentence is talking about this part and then another sentence is talking about this part, but he's talking about them like as if they're in unison being directed by a great instructor. And so in this chapter, there are many parts, but I'm only going to focus on two. John is talking predominantly about John the Baptist's role and announcing into this world as well as the purpose in the intent in the letter. I don't want you to mix the two up. He's talking about the purpose of John the Baptist, and he's also talking in this opening chapter about the intent of the letter. And in this is salvation and the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things that I, we as a church today need to make sure that we don't get lost in the details. Because when we begin to see in this passage, there are so many intricate parts. Like, for instance, John, the writer of the letter, not John, the baptizer that's being talked about in this chapter. John, the writer of this letter, is writing to a bunch of people, and we are having to see that he is making some assumptions about what they already know. Because in this letter... He's referencing a dove or a spirit that fell on Christ at his baptism. But anywhere in this letter so far, has, has he talked about the circumstances around Jesus' baptism? No, that's talked about in some of the other gospel letters. And so the point is, is that it's not that John hasn't read the other letters and has no idea or that he's heard about this, but he, was, he witnessed it. And he's witnessed John the Baptist and he's been around people and everybody most likely in John's audience, had a fair understanding. And another major story that's not in John's gospel, that's in the other gospels, is the Lord's Supper. You're not going to find that in this letter when we get later into the book. But yet there's incredible references to it. And so this is the point. John knows what his audience needs to hear. And he's, he's drawing illustrations to pull out so that they can be alive in their faith 
so that they can be fully aware of what God's intent for them in this world was like when so much of their life was revolving around persecution and confusion and why, would Je- why was Jesus with us and where did he go and why is he not here anymore? And Because don't you know that I still have family that's sick? Where's the healer? Where did he go? You know, so this early church that's receiving this letter from John would have, understand, would have understood more about the implied things in the text than you and I would. For instance... Why did the Pharisees come up to him and start saying things to him like, are you the Messiah? Are you a prophet like Elijah? Are you Moses? I mean, why were these names being thrown at John the Baptist because of the strange behavior that he was there? Because in that first century, around the birth of Jesus, there were people looking for those three people. There were people literally that were looking at the Old Testament text And based upon their faith and their upbringing and going to the synagogue every week, they were looking for characters that were talked about in the Old Testament and prophecies that they thought were regarding those characters that were coming true. And so when John the Baptist shows up dressed funny, eating funny things, and having people repeatedly meet him in the river and he's dunking them in the water, which is not talked about in any other Old Testament text, the people are like, what's going on? Especially the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were the keepers of the law. They were the people that were like, wait a minute, we hear a new pastor has popped up in the Galilee, and so we're going to go listen to a few of his sermons just to make sure they're in line with our teaching. And if he says anything funny or strange... We're going to confront him about it. And so John the Baptist's stories are being told. His audience is growing. It says at one point in the the chapters to come that the entire region came out to see him. Just easy mathematical estimates. That's probably 30 to 50,000 people. I mean, John wasn't just like a little side hustle street preacher. I mean, he had the mega church in this region until Jesus showed up. And so John is at this river baptizing people and proclaiming about the voice in the wilderness, which is referencing what we just introduced in the chapter about the word became flesh. And now John the Baptist is saying that he's the voice in front of the voice. And the Pharisees show up and are starting to ask him questions because, number one, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says that there's going to be a prophet going to come and put you in the water. And so they're just like, who is this guy? Because none of our prophets in the past put anybody like that in the water. And why is this guy doing it? And then John's answer is, oh yeah, the voice told me. And I'm not talking about the television show, okay? This is not something that Maroon 5 would tell you to do, okay? This is something that that, that the spirit of the living God that was now alive in Jesus Christ was now speaking to John the Baptist and John the Baptist was going out in obedience, He is saying to them, I am not Elijah, whom in the Old Testament they thought he was going to come back. Because according to their scriptures, Elijah never officially died. He went off to heaven in a flaming chariot. And so they're just anticipating someday him's going to come back in a flaming chariot. There was another great prophet, Moses, that led them out of bondage. Out of which country? Egypt. And so now they're in the bondage of another great country, which is Rome, and so they are now looking for a new Moses to come and set them free. 
They were looking for that. And so John is saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. No, you're not looking for Elijah and me. No, I'm not the new Moses. I'm the one coming to tell you about the one that is coming and what his role is. And John is making that incredibly clear, almost as clear. Um, it seems like every time I purchase or have lived in a home, we now purchased a home, we live um, on a street, but it seems like every street that I've ever lived on in Baltimore, which has been four of them, is a major runway for ambulances, <laughs> right? It just seems like I'm always on the approach to the ER, right? And so it, how many times a day does an ambulance come screaming past my house or a fire truck or something like that? Any of you also feel the same way? I mean, it is nonstop, any time of day, and, the, and they're having to elevate the volume, I feel like, because people in our city don't know how to yield to them anymore. And so they're just making them louder in, in order to say, hello, you didn't hear us at a normal volume. You need to pull over and get out of our way so that we can get somebody to care. Well, that's, this is what I want you guys to understand. John is making a ton of noise to clear the way for the one that's coming behind him. But I want you to, we're going to talk more about this as we get into chapter 3 through 6. But this says a ton to me about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had an audience of thousands of people. And he wasn't taking it personally. It wasn't his, like, this is my church. This is my group of people. Look at, come and listen to me. And by the way, I'm going to entertain you by wearing weird animal clothing and eating bugs. No, he's, he's not doing that. He's doing everything intentionally to say to anybody that would listen, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. For centuries, artists, and I know many of you in here are artists, if you were to look up any pictures about John the Baptist, it's almost impossible to find a picture of John the Baptist without a lamb in the picture somewhere. It's crazy when you just look at the art. You can just scroll image after image after image, whether that predicts John the Baptist as a child or John the Baptist as an adult. There's always some form of a lamb because he is inseparable from the announcement of a lamb that was coming to the nation of Israel that was ultimately as John wrote, the, the writer of the gospel wrote in the verses we read last week that this lamb, this Christ, was coming to not just benefit Israel, but was coming to benefit whom? The world. So in this room, we have people from different continents, people that grew up in different continents. Ike admitted that she grew up in Africa until she was 11 years of age, and then she came here. Many of you live in other parts of the world. Does it not do us good in all of our hearts to realize that Jesus came for everybody? He came for everyone. And John starts out with a proclamation in a culture that was very homogenous, very like it is all about us. And he steps into a culture that's all about us and says it's all about the world. And John is announcing this preparation for Christ coming so that he can be not just a lamb, but a lamb for the world. And I love John's gospel. In this first chapter, he's foreshadowing so much is going to come in the letter. And I don't want the redundancy to lull you into sleep because many of us know this story. Just like the writer, John, knew that his audience wasn't hearing this for the first time, but he's telling them the purpose of what they know. Can, can you follow me with that? 
It's like we know a lot of things about John's gospel. We know a lot of things about Jesus. We know a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. We know a lot of things about the Bible. We know a lot of things about the church. But we need to know the purpose of that. Why was Jesus a lamb? Why is this illustration so important in this chapter, setting a tone moving forward? And most of you are like, yes, because the lamb was the symbol for the sacrifice that took away the sins of Israel so they could be a blessing to the world. And that's not just good fact. It's true for everyone, for us. Like we can be in this room today equal in the eyes of our Father in heaven because Jesus was the perfect lamb for everybody, not just the nation of Israel. And so John, in his letter, which we'll find later, is having Jesus go to the cross beaten and bloodied on which Jewish holiday? Say it louder, yes. Passover. And so we'll find more about that in the days to come. But I believe John is writing to a room full of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, and he's saying to them, what we know about the Passover in our nation, in the Israel's nation's history and freedom from Egypt. Now, Jesus is the lamb that takes away our sin bondage. Like we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to our old nature. Jesus has come so that we can be set free in a new promise, in a new covenant, in a new way. And John is beginning to cast light because the light is coming. And so he's preparing the way for, for Christ. And that's John the Baptist, you know, not to get confused with all these Johns that are in here. But again and again, we're going to see John's gospel. We'll see that the ancient people of God, at least their rulers, the self-appointed rulers. I want you guys to hear this. There will always be people in your life that are going to appoint themselves to tell you what to do. That's why when we introduce ourselves to you as guests to our church, I want you to hear from me the first time we meet that if you don't feel comfortable here, I want to help you get connected to other churches in this area that you can immediately connect with so that you can quickly start pursuing your faith and get over the connectivity. Like the, spending a year or two years just looking for a church is exhausting. Let's shorten that process. Let's find you a church family that you can get authentic with that you can immediately start to say, this is what I believe, this is what I value, but you're looking for somebody that you're going to say, we trust you so that you can tell us the truth about Christ so that I can mature into the image of Jesus Christ because the time is too short. We don't know how much time we have. We need to jump right in. But the thing that I love about this is that John is talking to these people about these self-appointed guardians but they're missing the meaning of who Jesus was. They were always combating him, but it was the people on the edges of society that were experiencing the healing that we were singing about just a few moments ago. It was the people on the fringes, the people that weren't on the self-appointed in crowd that had eyes to see the light, that had ears to hear the voice of the one that was calling and so for us as a church, I want us to make sure that any self-appointed mentality that we just shed that and we just say, Jesus is the only Lord. I have no lordship other than whatever the Lord asks me to do. I can go walk in his name. And so I don't come to you as a church and say, let me tell you what Pastor Ellis thinks for you. 
I am coming to you saying, that's what you want me to tell him? The, the Lord says, that's my role. Now, I don't want to be distraction. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want some of you that are looking for a pastor that's more dressed up to not want to listen to me on a Sunday, I wear tennis shoes. Or uh, those of you that when I do dress up, they're like, I wish you wore tennis shoes. And then it's like, so what I'm, I'm in a, like, I, I don't want to be a distraction. I just want you to hear the voice because our world is too painful. In the last three days, I have found out from people that I love that cancer is still a part of people's lives. I am so tired as a pastor of hearing about cancer. I'm exhausted, to be honest with you. I have wept on my rooftop this week, um, thinking about a young man that I watched as a middle school student that has grown into an a, a 20, a early 20-year-old young man that's fighting for his life right now. And, and, and seeing that that kind of stuff is still real, real in the world is like, yes, Lord, what Ike said, I claim. That song, I claim. I want it to be true, Lord, and I want there to be power. I don't want us just to get together and play church. Like We want the power of God to come. And so John, in this opening chapter, is saying to all of us that the power of God has come, and he's doing it by saying, remember at Jesus' baptism, when he was baptized, it's like the veil was pulled back, and this dove descended on Jesus. And by the way, we now realize that it was the Spirit of God that fell on Christ. And so here's the point of today's teaching. The perfect lamb, the dove, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. These are the two instruments in this chapter that are playing a song that I think the angels want to join into. If we read the opening chapters of Matthew, the angels do join in. They start out by singing in the very announcement of the word becoming flesh. Because they know this lamb picture, and they know this dove descending on this lamb, and the music that that creates is going to be good news. It's going to be a song we're singing from generation to generation. It is going to be a proclamation and announcement that's going to set people free. And the more that we know, and the more that we see other characters, and the more that we allow ourselves to see all of the streams flowing, we're going to stand back and be like, wow, that is worthy of all hallelujahs. That's worthy of all praise. But until we allow ourselves to see all the pieces, it's going to be so easy to just hold everything we know from the Bible, everything we know about Jesus, everything we know about the church or whatever, and it's just going to be information. It's not going to be beautiful. It's not going to be a song. It's not going to be moving to us. And so in this first chapter, he's saying that this lamb was slain to set you free. And the dove that fell on that lamb, because of this lamb and the darkness that was enslaving us, and now it's full of light, can now hold this spirit. And so we're going to find later on, from John 14 through John 16, Jesus just telling his disciples, that dove that fell on the lamb is the same dove that's going to fall on you. 
Because of the lamb, the bondage of sin and death has been removed so that you can now be a temple of the living God. So you're not just a person anymore. That same spirit that fell on Jesus Christ is available to you and I, but we don't act like as if the spirit of the living God lives in us. But this lamb coming into the world was the first time that everyone got to experience what it's like to be the temple when the Holy of Holies was occupied. We can't even fathom that because we don't even view our historic church. We're, we meet in an old bar. I mean, there's a big bar that used to be over here. I mean, 10 years ago, people were dancing and wasted in this room. And now, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, we are in this space, but yet the spirit of the living God can be in us and do powerful things amongst us because of Jesus Christ. And that's not just good information, that changes life. The children of Israel didn't just wake up one day and they were in the desert like, how do we get here? It says that they left and they were singing songs and praising God because they were free. After over 400 years of being not free, slaves in bondage, making bricks, they made bricks every day of their life for generations so they could build beautiful buildings in Egypt. And then one day they get to walk away from it all because the Spirit of God came because there was a lamb that was slain that covered their sins and the sins of the Egyptians around them. And they were able to walk out and sing songs and they began to experience what it was like to even begin to have access to the Holy of Holies of God. And now we in John chapter 1 are getting a glimpse that the temple is cleaned, the pollution of sin and the rebellion in us is gone, and the Spirit of God can now dwell in our lives. So here's two things in closing. The first is to me. First Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four and verse five alludes to Paul telling the church in Corinth and the church leaders, saying to them that we need to have the same attitude that John had, that we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord, and we are servants for his sake. So like John the Baptist, and like the writer John, and like Paul talking about John and John, does that not get confusing? Are you guys with me? People like me should not be crowd pleasers, should not feel validated based upon the audience. We hear a voice, we share the voice. End of story. And do it with as much humility and honor as we possibly can give to Christ. And I love how John the Baptist said, I am only a voice. He's only a voice. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a Moses. I'm not a Messiah. I'm a voice. And the rest is for us. Let me say the second thing. Do you live each day aware that you are the temple of the Spirit of God? Most of us in this room, I'm not trying to convince you to believe in Jesus. I'm just trying to get you to live out what is true about Jesus in your life. And so this week, could you set some sort of reminder? I mean, we have so many ways of reminding ourselves. Somewhere right now, you could just easily just speak, hey, Siri, 
remind me that I'm in the image of God. And she's going to remind you whenever you tell her to. Or whatever Amazon devices out there, Echo or whatever you can say, you can set so many reminders. Why do we so easily forget that we're the temple of the living God? So wherever I go, whether it's where I'm living, where I'm working, where I'm playing, wherever I'm going, I am going as the temple of the living God. How would that change our life this week if we function that way? I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to get ready to respond to this. But I would love for us today, as we come to the Lord's table, which I'm going to talk about the reason why we do the Lord's table each week. Currently, next Sunday before I teach, I want to explain more to you why this is such an important part. But let me just say this today, because our response to being the temple of the living God is because of Christ's example on this table. He was the perfect lamb slain. And it's because of his blood that was poured out that the temple was clean so that the spirit of the living God could dwell amongst us. And we should be telling everybody about that. Because of Christ, the sins of the world have been dealt with. And now we can look at one another and let the spirit of God come into us and come around this table. And because of Christ, tell the story of God's great love, his gracious love, his merciful love to us. And so today I'd love for you to come to this table, especially if your faith is in Christ. Because this is what it is. Like you come to the table and you don't believe in Jesus, you're really kind of wasting your time in many ways. I want you to get caught up in the meal of Christ. But this is a testimony of us saying his body was broken and his blood was poured out so that I could be sinless. So that now I can announce that to other people. And so we practice the Lord's table currently as a way for us to be looking at one another and saying, I need to get used to telling people that Jesus died for you. His body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance with me. We need to get used to saying these things and not just hearing them. I was, saying, I was sharing earlier about why we practice hospitality. And I'm reminded by looking at one of my sisters in the room right now, the conversation I had with her. And so I don't generally put anybody... I don't like it in a sermon ever making people think, well, Ellis just spoke about something we talked about. Um, but now I'm calling it out. I'm actually doing that. Um, but I remember a, a conversation I had with a sister in the room. And I, I told her, I said, you know, it's so, we, we need to stop being the guest and we need to be hosts. We need to stop always looking for others to initiate with us, but we need to start acting like as if this is our space. And I'm not just talking about this room. I'm talking about wherever the temple is. So if the temple is over here next to Ike, then I should start acting like the host of the temple, not the guest in the temple. If I'm over here next to Bobby, I shouldn't be acting like the guest in the temple. I should be acting like the host in the temple. The majority of us in this room have enough faith to act like hosts. The table is allowing us to begin to put into practice saying, I'm coming to this table as a guest, but I'm leaving it as a host. I am now responsible to host people around a meal and remind them that Jesus loves them and gave himself for them. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would heal Alan and Josh from cancer. Amen. I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would be with all of the brokenhearted. Yes, God. Father, I know that there are some in our church family that are desperate for work. They're desperate, Father, just to feel the embrace and love of family. And so, God, I ask in Jesus' name that whatever is broken, you would fix it now. Yes, 
in Jesus' name. And so, God, I ask that you would be with us through these songs as we praise you and we call out to you because I know you can handle our praises and I know you can handle our complaints and our petitions because you are all. You are powerful. You are all-knowing. You are merciful. You are just. You are marvelous. You are excellent in every way. And so, Father, we sing to you now. We pray to you now. We ask this in Christ's name. If you need prayer, we are going to have some people with some lanyards around the room. They would love to pray for you. I would encourage you guys right now to let these songs be washed over you, but you would let the Spirit do its work so that when we leave, we leave knowing that the Spirit is with us and not just something that we talk about. Would you stand and sing with us?